You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with the Radio Media. And we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. Uh, you want to contact us? That number is 844-999-9249. Or you can always email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. So many things happening over the weekend. I guess we'll get a good start with, uh, with some good news, some fun news, some happy news. There we go, my music. Yes, Simintov, Mazel Tov, yes. Um, if you missed me last week, I'm very sorry you missed me, but I had to be in New York, or actually New Jersey. Um, my son got engaged over the weekend, so we drove in with the family. We had a great time, had parties with the, with the bride and groomers. We say chassin. The chassin is the Jewish word for a groom. Kala is the is the word for a bride and there's all kinds of things that happen and we met the parents and we schmoozed and they tried to give me cakes and who knows what they tried to feed me with I have no idea and it's a customary it's like not a real custom it's just like what people do you get the the bride, the Cali, you get her a bracelet, she'll get her ring, don't worry, she'll get her jewelry, don't worry. But um, it was really a fun weekend. We had a good time hanging out with everybody. Um, but now we are back after, I don't know, I wasn't here last week, even two weeks ago. Yeah, I think I'm just like two weeks. Wow. That is amazing. But life is good, life is fun. We had a great time. It was really great to get away, it was great to get back. Of course, the weather is not the greatest. We drove through pouring rain, but arrived safely. So you arrived safely. Certainly can't complain about that. Um, just one of the things on my head over the last uh, week and a half is communication. So here, everybody is great. They communicate. I send my emails. They tell me what I'm supposed to do. They tell me what I can't do. It's fantastic. But everybody else in my world has uh, just been amazingly... Um, losing the concept of communication. Either they decide what I want, or they thought they meant to tell me what they were going to tell me. I have no idea. Very, very confusing. Everywhere, even a guest we had set up for today, probably my fault, maybe not. Um, I did email her, but we will not be connecting today. We're going to probably connect in about six weeks from now. Um, it could be I emailed from two different email addresses. Maybe that made it confusing. I have no idea. But in any case, um, today I am by, I don't want to say by my lonesome, so many people here. I got Kelsey sitting in with me today, so that'll be fun. And uh, But today I had a different idea of what I wanted to do. Happens to be that uh, it's really last week's Torah portion, but we can't skip it. Um, the name of last week's Torah portion is Kedoshim, which means holy. Holy means to be separate, to be prepared, um, and it's full, full, full of commandments. It's one of the, the as far as listing, as far as listing laws and rules and regulations and how we're supposed to act. Yeah, you know, every verse 
could be filled with two and even three different commands. And seemingly, which we won't go through uh, all the reasons or any of the reasons because I won't have time, but it's almost like a hodgepodge. There almost seems to be no connection from one verse to the next. We're just getting a list of stuff of how God expects us to act. So I thought that it would be a good lesson for our, since um, I don't have a guest today, to, I don't want to say run through, but to go through as many as possible. We will not get to all of them because... Even in an hour-long show, which is not 60 minutes long, um, I believe there's more than 60 commandments. And there's no way I'm getting through one command per minute unless I just read them. And what would be the point in that? So, actually, this week I brought—well, this one happens to have English, but I brought it because it has big print. So I can read the big print. The smaller print I use my glasses for, my reading glasses— I don't want to take glasses off and on. Too uncomfortable. So, we're going to talk about the Torah portion a little bit differently than what we usually do. Instead of two or three topics, we may have 12, 15, 20, as many as time will allow us to get through. But first, the name of the Torah portion is to be holy. Rashi actually says, being holy, and it's really connected to the Torah portion before, is when the Jewish people are careful who they marry and, and relationships, and uh, to be moral, not immoral, that creates holiness, which is really interesting, because most people imagine holiness, I have to be a monk, I have to be celibate, I have to be away from people, and you really see throughout this Torah portion that that's not what God wants when he says, be holy. Almost all these commands we're going to see as we go through, or certainly many of them, are, have to do with interpersonal relationships. People, people, animals, you're living as a regular, normal person. If you live as a regular, normal person and you do it the way God tells you to do it, that makes you holy. Being on top of a mountain where you don't talk to anybody and eating grass, whatever they eat, that doesn't make you holy. I don't want to say it makes you crazy, but it does make you separate, it makes you a hermit. You're not going to, you can't slander very well if you can't talk to anybody, but that's not really the idea. There was a great rabbi, he was known by the name of his book. We've talked about him before, the Chavetz Chaim. It, he wrote like the book about 100 years ago, maybe 90 years ago, the book on slander. And it was well known that if you sat down with him, he did a lot of talking because he wanted you to know that. A person can talk, but you can't slander, you can't say not nice things about other people, but you can still talk. So, so the idea is I'm supposed to become holy by how I live, not by how I lock myself in a room and I have nothing to do with anyone or anything. So we will do our best to attempt to go through this Torah portion, and I will pick as I turn the pages, I'll pick stuff, and uh, we'll see what happens with life. So interesting enough, the first command says... That a person, a man, a man and a woman have to fear their parents. And then the verse ends and you have to watch the Sabbath. Which again is an interesting connection. Like what does one have to do with another? Um, but first you got to know what does it mean you have to fear your parents? So we know from the Ten Commandments that we have to honor our parents. What does it mean to fear? So the best way to explain it is honor is positive. It's an action. I bring my parents something to eat. I feed them. I bring them their clothing. I help them get dressed. I take them shopping. 
Honoring parents is doing something positive. Fearing parents, on the other hand, is, is the negative. It's what I don't do. I don't contradict my parents. I don't stand, if my father has a special place that he would stand, I don't stand there. I don't sit in my parents' chair. Ah, you can ask permission. The parent can say, no problem. My children ask me all the time, can I sit in your chair? Can I sit in your chair? Of course, of course. But the, the idea of fear is what I don't do. And I was by, by acting in a way that I, that I show respect, and I'm showing respect by what I don't do. Again, all the knots, don't contradict, don't sit in this place. That becomes the, the, what, what the Torah calls fearing your parents. I'm not afraid of my parents, but I'm, I'm showing what's called fear. So then again, interesting, but it's connected to the end of the verse, which says, I have to keep Sabbath. So what's the connection? So this is a famous connection. So this one I'll tell you. Um, a person, we have a command to listen to our parents. Very good. I also have a command to keep the Sabbath. What if there's a contradiction? What if my parents say, don't keep Sabbath? So on this, the Torah is making a connection to tell you, you of course, God wants you to listen to your parents. At the same time, you don't listen to your parents when they tell you to do something wrong. Now, who decides what's right and wrong? Okay, so if it's in the Torah, now you know right and wrong. Um, otherwise, if you're a young child and your parent says one thing and you want to do something else, again, that's contradicting. You're not allowed to contradict them. So this, the idea is that I listen to my parents, but not if they're telling me not to listen to God. It doesn't mean I flaunt it doesn't mean I have to go say, ha-ha, I'm not listening to you. Why would I want to listen to you? You don't listen to God. That's like being silly. Um, interesting, as, a, as an aside to that, um, the Talmud says numerous times that a child is made up of three parts, from his father, from his mother, and from God. So a, a great uh, uh, a man went to a great rabbi one time, I think it was Moshe Feinstein, and he said, hey, uh, my wife and I want our son to do A. Um, we don't want our son to study so much Torah. He's doing too much studying. We want him to be a doctor, for argument's sake. And our son says he wants to study. Well, if a child is made up of three parts, father, mother, and God, so we're the majority and we should be allowed to dictate. He's not doing anything wrong. We know God wants him to study, but, but he should have to listen to us. So I leave Rabbi Feinstein saying, I got to do the math here. He says, but the father is also partially made up of God. And the mother is also partially made up of God. So you start doing all the calculations. I don't remember how it worked exactly. But uh, then there's really more parts of God in the child than the parents. But okay, fine. As I said, we are going to move quite quickly through this Torah portion. And so far, I'm not moving very fast. Uh, the Torah talks about uh, not doing idol, uh, idol worship not owning idols, which uh, we talked about in the Ten Commandments. We're going to go right past that. Talks about bringing sacrifices. When you bring a sacrifice, we do not force a person to bring a sacrifice. What would be the point if a person wants is supposed to bring a sacrifice and I force him? It has very little value. And that is a few other stuff here about sacrifices. We're going to leave that for another day. I wanted to get to this interesting law. It's, a, um, it's basically a forced charity. Now, again, they lived in agricultural societies, so this forced tax is all in relation to farmers. What would happen nowadays is an interesting question, 
But and we, of course, everybody knows they're supposed to give charity. But this is really in an agricultural society. So here it goes. It says when you harvest your field, so first of all, you can't cut the corner. The corner of the field is left behind. We'll talk about that momentarily. And then it says uh, something called leket. If there's uh, some stalks that fall, you leave. We'll talk about that. And then uh, there's another one called forgetting, which is not over here. Um, it's elsewhere, but I'll talk about all three. So what are those? So the farmer has a big farm. So first rule is he cannot harvest the entire farm. Part of the farm, we leave it's a corner. He's going to leave that for the poor people to take. The Hebrew word for that is peya. Um, it's a corner, and that stays for the poor people. There's a, The Talmud gives amounts, if it's 150th, of how much of a field should be left. He can't harvest it. He doesn't cut it. He ropes it off. And um, generally speaking, it is the last part of the field he leaves, so the poor people know where it's going to be. We don't want it in the middle of the field, because in the middle of the field, the poor people are hanging around till the guy announces where it is. That's too complicated. We want it in the corner. That's forced tax number one. Forced tax number two, again, wouldn't work nowadays. Nowadays, you've got a vacuum cleaner that goes through the fields when a harvest. We call that a combine. But in those days, you had an army of people that would grab a bundle of wheat, they would take their sickle and cut, and then they would tie the bundle, and then they would take a step forward, or a step to the side, however they did it. And again, without fail, when you're going to take your sickle and rip away, at, for argument's sake, the wheat, so some of the stalks will fall. So when one or two stalks fall per cut, that belongs to the poor person. The owner cannot pick that up. It's a forced tax. And um, they would stand behind, and I'm sure it was crowded, and people are in each other's way, and there's the sickles flying. But that was left to the poor people. In a couple weeks from now, when we say the story of, of Ruth, um, that is really part of the story of what's happening when Ruth herself is collecting um, those, those, uh, the leket, the couple stalks that keep falling every time they give a swing. The likelihood is that when the, uh, when the workers are cutting, more than two fell, and they probably picked up more than two, probably. By law, they really weren't allowed. But just I, I'm imagining the practicality of it wasn't happening. Now, again, nowadays we have a vacuum cleaner. You have this combine. So I, I don't know exactly what they would do um, with this law. Nowadays, it's a good question. Maybe they would just have to take off a percentage. And then you have something called shikha, which is not really here. That means when they recollect all the bundles, if they were to forget anything, anything that would be forgotten... Um, again, that whole stalk would remain with the, um, with the poor person. Continuing in that same line of thought is the same idea, and that's by a vineyard. So if you've ever seen grapes, everybody knows what grapes are supposed to look like. A very, like a triangle, like an like a upside-down pyramid. Nice shoulder on top and very thick through the bottom. You don't see, the, you don't see the, um, the twigs or whatever it is through the grapes. But if you were to have an underdeveloped, if you would have an underdeveloped cluster of grapes, that also you leave for the poor. Um, that's called this chemical oil and chemical socket. Fine. All that's left to the poor person. And interesting, the verse ends, I am God. And as I know if you're playing. As the poor person doesn't know, nobody knows. You're the only one that knows. But God says, but I know. So God says, since I know, you're going to have to be careful. Okay, moving along, as I told you, I'm doing my best, and so far I got about, I'm seven mitzvahs, seven commandments in. We're given a command not to steal. Unlike the Ten Commandments, stealing there meant kidnapping. Here, stealing means, of course, money. 
Uh, we talk about denying wages. So you owe somebody wages. You can't deny that you owe those wages. Um, you can't lie about the wages. Um, you can't swear falsely about those wages. So now we get a group of verses of how of just standard, simple laws of how a person is supposed to act that we have to be careful in money matters. I can't take what doesn't belong to me. If I have something of yours, I can't deny it. Certainly, if I swear falsely, I'm going to pay for it. Um, I can't go ahead and withhold, which is really another verse which comes up momentarily, which is more clear. I can't withhold wages. If I owe you money, I basically get In those days, they were day workers. So if you're a day worker, I have all night to pay you. If you're a night worker, I have all night to pay you. Nowadays, we already set up that we're on a weekly, uh, every other week, monthly. Depends what you do for a living, how often they actually hand you a paycheck. All that kind of good stuff becomes other commands in this Torah portion as we are trying to move along as quickly as possible. Now, interesting, um, there's a similar command. There's two commands about stealing. One says, lo signovu, geneva, and one is called gezela. Now, both words really mean the same thing. Both, you're not allowed to be a thief. What's interesting is there's different types of thievery. There's, you know, I sneak into your house in the middle of the night. That's what we call geneva stealing. There's a, in broad daylight stealing, that's called gazela. And the Torah actually has separate verses for each one of them, but they all go under that category. And as my time is getting close, I'll start with one more. Again, as I told you, we'd go as fast as we could. And that's called not cursing somebody who is deaf, which we have to discuss what that means, and not putting a stumbling block in front of somebody who's blind. Now, that's the actual literal translation. But there's much more to be said about uh, not cursing a deaf person or not, uh, or putting a stumbling block in front of somebody who's blind. But here comes my music, a little slower, I guess, for the mood, as I'm trying to go fast and they're having the music go slow. But in any case, um, stay through the break. When we come back, we're going to work our way through more of the commands in this week's Torah portion. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on New Radio Media, and we're going to be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. Can that itch be caused by stress? Now, we already know that stress can increase your odds of everything from colds to cancer. And now there's new research to suggest that stress can also make you itch. You see, it seems clear that stress activity is the immune system of mice, making them itch, and the experts say the same is probably true for humans. The study from the University of Medicine in Berlin and McMaster University in Canada found that stress can exacerbate skin disease by increasing the number of immune cells in the skin. Now, these immune cells are believed responsible for initiating and perpetuating skin diseases that can make you itch. The report in the American Journal of Pathology indicates that doctors were able to prevent stress-induced increases in white blood cells in the skin 
by blocking the function of the proteins that attract these immune cells to the skin in the first place. Now more work is certain to come in this area of research. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. our way. Maybe we did a dozen or 15 commands so far. Let's see in my next 11 and a half or 12 minutes how many more I can get through. And if I tell you we're like, we're like 13 verses into the Torah portion. It's not a long Torah portion, about 55, 57 uh, verses, but uh, lots of stuff. So we'll take it slow, lots to learn, lots to think about, lots to digest. So he said you can't curse a deaf person. Now, really, it means you can't curse anybody. The Torah is adding, even though the guy doesn't know that you're cursing him. So the question is, if the guy doesn't know, man, lady, doesn't matter. If the person doesn't know he's being cursed, who cares? Like, you didn't hear me. It's like a tree falling in the forest if it makes noise. Like, who cares if it makes noise? No one's listening anyways. So the deaf guy doesn't hear himself being cursed. Who cares? So, um... Interesting, we're going to get there soon. We're going to talk about slander. We talked about slander a little bit before. We're going to talk about it again uh, coming up in a few verses. Um, speech, talk, is powerful. We, we've, we've certainly talked that in the past, that speech is spiritual. And I, was, I have a physical body. Yeah, I touch, I feel, I, I walk, I run, I eat, I do whatever physical things I want to do, uh, if I'm allowed to do them. Um, and then there's speech. Speech is only by people. Because a person has a soul. I know they say parrots can talk. They can't talk. They make noise. Animals can communicate. There's a natural in them. They can communicate. They don't have language. Language, the idea of language, creating sentences, writing books, making, saying thoughts, saying ideas, that is only people can do that. And we can only do it because we have a soul. All those stories of the golem of Prague, that uh, piece of clay that became like a person, could never talk. All those stories, maybe another day we'll talk about it more at length, but it was called a golem. Um, again, it's just, a, uh, it's just a piece of clay that they shaped in the form of a person, but it didn't have a soul. So if it doesn't have a soul, so it can't talk, it can't communicate. Okay, fine. So, um, so speech is very, very powerful. If speech is powerful, then cursing somebody is also powerful. How powerful? Who has the ability to curse? I don't know. But one thing the Torah is telling you is there's some type of, of power when you curse somebody. When you bless someone, we always ask for blessings. Please give me a blessing. Rabbi, give me a blessing. Everybody wants blessings. Even a regular person we ask blessings for. So the same way you believe that a blessing has some type of power, a curse is going to be the same thing. So we don't curse. We don't curse people. We don't do that because it has some type of power. That's not the kind of person you want to be. You don't want to be someone who curses somebody else. And maybe it has effect. Maybe it doesn't have effect. Irrelevant. But the fact that my speech is spiritual and my speech has power, then I need to be careful how I talk. Because things I say have meaning, have value, have power. You got to be careful. So therefore, the Torah now the Torah words it in a way: don't curse a deaf person, even if the guy doesn't know. But we're telling you that it, that's just not the way a good person should be. And then the next one 
Again, it sounds a little poetic. In front of a blind man, you don't put a stumbling block. So, of course, you don't trip a blind person walking down the street. That goes without saying. But the verse really means much more. The simplest explanation is that you can't give bad advice. Blind, in this case, means I don't know. Is this a good stock? Is it not a good stock? Well, it's to your benefit if I buy the bad stock. Is this a good business deal? Is it a poor business deal? You have to be honest. If somebody comes and asks you for information, if you have in your store a crazy price on something, guy wants to buy it, could be it's his problem, could be. But if somebody comes over to you and asks advice, you have to be careful to give honest advice. And you have to be even more careful if you don't know. There's a lot of people out there that they feel if someone asks them for advice, they must give advice. The person's asking me, he wants my opinion. It's only an opinion. I didn't think he was going to listen to me. If you didn't think he was going to listen to you, don't give your advice. If you don't know, then be quiet. Or at least have the guts to say, you know, I don't really know. It's a very good question. Is this a good house? Not a good house. You know that uh, the neighborhood is changing. Um, should I buy this car? Should I not buy this car? You know it was a jalopy, and you know that it's always by the mechanic. If you know and someone's asking you advice, the Torah says don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. It's not being honest. The same idea of setting up a person to fail, all these kinds of things where where you're going to try to create a situation where a person fails, that kind of of uh, of just being a horrible person you're not allowed to do. Somebody told me years ago, um, and it's probably true today, that you find by the super wealthy, it's almost like a club, and sometimes when they hear that somebody else is trying to move into their club, I don't know if, it's, if they can do it nowadays, but certainly you go back 30, 40 years ago, um, they would do all kinds of business dealings and mess up that guy to make sure he didn't become wealthy. Yeah, you know, you, you, And you set him up, oh, invest in this, invest in that, this is a good idea, try this. We don't put stumbling blocks in somebody who's blind. Blind meaning to the knowledge. If he doesn't know, don't give him bad advice. The Torah says you cannot... Give bad advice. Again, the person asks you for advice, you're allowed to say, look, to me this looks like a good deal, but I, I'm not an expert in this. You should not rely on me. Okay, then at least you're being honest, and that's what we want. And again, another this verse also ends with a statement, you'll fear God. Why is that to say you'll fear God? Because you'll walk around saying, oh, I, I thought I was giving him good advice. I didn't realize it was bad advice. So you could fool me. You could fool the world. You're not fooling God. So God is telling you, I know what you had in mind, and therefore I will deal with it. Because most, many of these types of commands, a court can't take care of them. Only God can take care of them. Once we talk about courts, by the way, whether it's a connection or not, um, the verse talks about how the court has to be straight. It means like this. A poor person comes in, a wealthy person comes in. So the judge could say, you know, this poor guy. He needs a break, and uh, really in this, in this court uh, matter, um, the wealthy guy is right. But, you know, the wealthy guy should support the poor guy. Let's give the guy a chance. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and let the poor guy win. That way he'll get some money, and the, I'll force the wealthy guy to give charity. You're not allowed to do that. The law is the law. You want to tell the wealthy guy, look, Mr. Wealthy Person, it would be nice of you to help this poor person, support him. Really, you're, you're on the right over here, but have some mercy. You could say all those things. 
But as far as the law goes, the judge's responsibility is to only do the law. I mean, we had a story ourselves, um, whether this was good or not, but it was legal. And that was that uh, in the old days, not so old, when now I guess it's overwhelming, but when the original, not even robocalls, when people would call you from companies, you had a right to tell the person on the phone, put me on your do not call list. And, it, and you could write down the date and the name, and they had to have the information. If they called you back, you were by law, they were allowed to be sued. I think it was either $250 or $500. So we actually did it a couple of times. We told you not to call. You called back. By law, I'm allowed to take your small claims court. Good way of making money, a few bucks on the side. Anyways, we went in front of the judge. And the judge said, I guess when we filled out the paper, he must have said it. I don't remember if I was there. Maybe I was there. He said, um, I don't like this law. I don't like this law. I think it's a bad law. So you could sue the company, but you're not going to win. I said, but your honor, or whatever I referred to the judge, I said, the law is, now again, there's no lawyers, a small claims court. I said, the law is that if, if they call me more than once, I said not to call, this is what the government set up, the state set up, that I'm allowed to fine them. So the judge says, true, that's the law, but I don't like that law, so I'm not going to let you in. That's not, the Torah is saying, that's not the way it works. The Torah has its set of laws. The judge is responsible to follow the laws. He doesn't like the laws, so become a congressman, become a senator, change the laws. You, you could go, there's systems to change the laws, but the judge's responsibility is not to make up his own laws. He's just just supposed to follow the law, which again becomes the problem. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. Certainly in Supreme Court cases, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, you're conservative, you're liberal, and that's how you want to interpret stuff. But, but it's supposed to be, what is the law? What's the law? Whatever the law is, so far out of law. Don't, you're not supposed to change the law or make the law fit your, your mode of lifestyle. That's ridiculous. The opposite side of the, of the verse is that you, have to, you can't honor the wealthy. You know, you can't say, oh, this wealthy guy is going to be so embarrassed that he lost a court case to this poor uh, Shlomazel over here, so I don't want to embarrass the wealthy man. So I'll tell the wealthy man he wins. And then afterwards, I'll go back to the wealthy man and say, look, really, you lost. I don't want to embarrass you. That also, the Torah says, is not acceptable. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. It's not the judge's job to be afraid of you, to worry about you, to try to give charity to you. The judge's responsibility is solely to say, this is the law. This is the case. This is the law. you got to follow the law. So we talk about slander. Sure enough, we get to a verse that says, don't be a talebearer. Rachel is an interesting word. Rachel is the same word that's used to describe a spice merchant because they're always going from house to house. You're not supposed to be a talebearer to go give this one's information, that one's information. What kind of person does it make you if you run around just telling everybody about somebody else and ruining their business and ruining their livelihood and 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 that's something that's that's again some of these commands are monetary but some are to make your person and interesting a lot enough like you said they make you holy we said this whole Torah portion you want to be holy you follow God's commands and then the verse the next verse continues don't stand on the blood of your friend some say that really follows the very last verse. Don't be a talebearer. So one of the things a talebearer would be in Hebrew is called a moser. Moser is someone that would tattletale to the government. You don't tattletale on your brother to the government. 
because then you're standing on your brother's blood. And here comes music, I think. There it is. So that means I'm through my second segment already. I don't even think we did 25 commands yet, but I'm doing my best to get through as many as I could. So hold through the break. When we come back, we got some more to get through. For sure, we're not going to finish this week's Torah portion, but to give you a good feeling. So you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi and Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. I'll tell you what happened. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision-making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. Feeling sad. I simply remember my favorite thing. And we're back. Favorite things. Well, right now, my favorite things are all in the Torah portion right now. And we are we are moving along to see what we can get done today. Um, another interesting verse about hate, hate. You cannot hate your brother in your heart. In English, I think we call that being two-faced. You can't pretend to be the guy's friend but you want to stab him in the back. Yeah, to be honest, the person has done something to hurt you, tell him. Again, I told you at the beginning of the day, a lot of miscommunication uh, has been part of my life. Just, it's unbelievable. Everything that could be miscommunicated was miscommunicated this week. Till we found the right people who knew the story to get the story you know, in our mind clearly. And usually what seems to happen is when there's miscommunication, when you're not telling me the whole story, you think you're doing me a favor. Because you said one thing, and it really was, was a mistake. And instead of saying, I made a mistake, you go ahead and say, eh, no, it was this one's fault and that one's fault, but I'm really still perfect. And, and the story, it just builds on itself. It just gets worse and worse and worse till you find, if you find, a third party who says, hello, this first guy is taking you for a ride. He, he has the whole story wrong. And then you say, okay, now I understand. Now life is beautiful. 
we use that, by the way, in regards to judging um, your fellow man favorably. Most, I don't want to say all the time, but many, many times when you see someone do something that you feel is wrong or someone does something to you that you feel was just not appropriate, it was wrong, a lot of times, instead of just getting angry, if you just go back to the person and say, what happened, you'll find out that there's miscommunication. This one thought one thing, this one thought the next thing, you misunderstood what they wanted. It happens all the time. So instead of having everybody at each other's throats, all you have to do, unless you're in politics, but all you have to do is say, what happened? The story doesn't make sense. Tell me what's going on. And then everyone's friends and everyone's happy. And you're not walking around being angry at a guy for 20 years, not knowing that you misunderstood the original story. Or the person thought you did something and, and he, he had to get something back. You, you got you, you to gotta know the story. And the best way to know the story is don't hate the guy in your heart. Say to the person, we're friends. What happened? Could you please tell me? It doesn't make sense. You would never do this to me. How did that happen? Again, if the person is rotten, he, he did it because he hates you. Okay, now you know. So I'm not hating you in my heart. Now we're being clear. But again, most of the time you'll find out it was a complete misunderstanding, a complete miscommunication, and, uh, and everyone can live happily ever after. But people don't check it out. Which really becomes the next part of the verse, which is you have to tell your friend when he's doing something wrong. It's not good enough to walk around and say, I mind my own business, I have my life, you have your life, you serve God your way, I'll serve God my way, you have your marriage, I have my marriage, you raise your kids your way, I raise my kids my way. If someone's doing something wrong, the Torah wants you to point out they're making a mistake. You know, I, I, I have my own personal story with this. Um, I lead the prayers a lot, and as a teenager, I had decided that there was a certain word um, in the prayer book that was missing a dot. So I read the word different. And I, for a couple of years, I read the word wrong. So a friend came over and said, why are you reading the word that way? He said, that must be a printing mistake. He said, no printing mistake. You're reading the word wrong. I wasn't angry at him that he corrected me for a mistake I was making for years, and this was something I did publicly. I said, thank you very much. Otherwise, I'm going to be embarrassed for the next 50 years because no one walks over and tells you when you're making a mistake. I'm happy to learn when I make a mistake. I make a mistake, fix it, I won't make the mistake again. I'm not angry at you. This, how else can I learn? If, if we leave everybody up to their own devices, as we say, um, most of the time they'll get it wrong. Just tell the person you're making a mistake in a nice way, which we'll see in a second. You, we call it giving musr or rebuke. You, you do it in the nicest way possible, and, uh, and you move on with life. And that's it, And which really leads to the end of the next verse. I'm skipping a few things because my time is flying over here. And that is, you have to love your friend like yourself. This is one of those very, very, I guess, misunderstood verses. The great Rabbi Akiva said, love your friend as yourself. This is like a, a great rule to the Torah. But it's a very confusing rule. Love my friend like myself, so you have to love me. So please go shopping for me. Please take my clothes to laundromat. Please uh, watch my kid for the next 12 hours. That's ridiculous. But it's a powerful statement. One, or maybe more than one of the ways they explain this verse, love your, your friend like yourself, is, is simply stated that however you would want to be treated, that's how you treat everybody else. You don't want somebody calling you names? 
then why are you calling the guy names? You don't want somebody to slander you? Then don't slander anybody else. How do you want to be treated as a person? How do you expect to be treated? You don't expect someone to go shopping for you. Okay, then I don't expect anyone to go shopping for me. I'm going to love you as I love myself. First of all, it's a great level of, uh, of, of, of honor, of respect, of how I treat other people. That's for sure, and that's for sure part of the idea. But, it, but there's a line, and the line is, if I want to be treated this way, if I expect, again, as we get older, we have a better understanding, if, if there's a certain respect that I expect you to have for me, then I, in turn, should have that same respect for you. And then you'll find, if you do it for a spouse, for sure a spouse, do it for children, if you find out that the same way you want to be respected, you turn around and respect them the same, you'll find the greatest relationships that could ever exist because you know how you want to be treated. So the goal is not to tell the person you're not treating me the way I want to be treated. The goal is you treat the person the way the way you want to be treated. And as soon as you treat the person the way you want to be treated, you'll find out they reciprocate. So I probably told the story. It's a great story. There was a guy who went to his rabbi, and he says, Rabbi, my marriage is crazy. It's crazy. I can't live with this wife. Everything I do is horrible. What should I do? I can't divorce her. I'm a fantastically wealthy man. She'll take all my money. So as I tell you, I got a great trick for you. The rule is, if a person makes a pledge, a promise to do something, and he doesn't keep his promise, the Talmud says his wife will die. So says the Talmud. Why, you know, we need a new synagogue. Why didn't you pledge a $2 million gift to build a new synagogue? You can afford it. It's not like a person saying he's going to pledge something that he can't afford. And don't keep your word. You don't keep your word, so then your wife will die. And you have your money, you have everything you wanted. So guys, it's fine. So the rabbi said, now, do me a favor. She's dying in six months because you're not paying the pledge. So um, be nice to her for the next couple months. Be nice, see what happens. So the guy starts to be nice to his wife. He's nice. She says, oh, he's nice to me. I'll be nice to him. He's nice to her. She's nicer back. All of a sudden, you know, a couple months later, have a great relationship. But the guy is thinking, you know, now I like her. I don't want her to die. So he goes back to the rabbi. He says, rabbi, I got a problem. What's the problem? I worked it out for you. Wife will die. Everybody's good. No, no, rabbi, you don't understand. I like her now. I don't want her to die. What should I do? Oh, the rabbi said, now we got a problem. Now, either you pay the pledge or she's dead. So um, did the rabbi know that when he started the conversation? I have no idea. But certainly as a fundraiser, that is a fantastic way to get a new building built. In any case, that's part of this idea of loving your neighbor. In the same verse, by the way, it talks about revenge. There's two types of revenge the Torah talks about. Very interesting what's considered revenge. Um, You came to my house and asked to borrow, I don't know, a, a cup of sugar. And I said, no. I'm sorry, I came to you and I said, can I borrow a cup of sugar? You said, no. You come to me the next day and say, can I borrow a cup of flour? So there's two ways, there's three ways to respond. Either I could say yes and forget what happened that you didn't lend me. And I could really ask why, you know, why you didn't lend me um, if it bothers me. Or I could say, you don't lend me, I don't lend you. That's called revenge. The fact that you can say that, that you can say, you don't lend me, I don't lend you, this is not a, a tit for tat. You're supposed to become a good person. Who knows why they didn't lend you? Who knows what kind of people they are? What does that have to do with you? That's one type of revenge. And a, and a second type of revenge is, um, is to say to the person, I'm not like you. I asked you for a cup of sugar. You didn't, lend, you didn't lend it to me. 
but I'm a nice person. I'm going to give you a cup of flour. That also is like holding on to the to the anger, to the hate in your heart. That also is a type of revenge, and that also is something that is not the way a good person is supposed to act. Again, all these verses keep ending with, I'm God. Because what's in your mind, what's in your heart, only God knows. So the Torah keeps repeating to you, I'm telling you how I expect you to act, God says. And with me telling you how you're supposed to act, I'm also telling you that I know what you're thinking. Okay, so I'm going to skip. I have no idea if I'm skipping. But towards the end of the Torah portion is a fantastic type of idol worship that the Torah talks about. And the question is, how does it apply to us? Is there anything we can learn from that idol worship? There was an idol worship called the Molech. It was some type of fire sun worship. It is debatable amongst the rabbis exactly what happened. Most people seem to believe that... Um, a family would actually sacrifice one of their children to this fire god. You'd walk, you'd take the child, you'd walk through some torches, and then you'd give the child over to the priest, and basically the priest would burn the kid alive. Horrible, crazy, hard to imagine how you could have such a um, such a, a an idol worship, how people could be so cruel and so foolish, by the way. It's amazing what they believed. They believed to keep the rest of the family healthy, whatever they may believed. We obviously don't believe in these things nowadays. In those days, they believed in it. So, interesting enough, on that specific type of idol worship, God hates that one almost more than other ones. Now, again, obviously, it's very cruel. It's very horrible. But why does God hate it more? Like, what's so much worse that it's profaning God? So, Nachmanides has a very interesting take on on that idol worship. Again, there were certainly troubles in the early part of the Jewish nation when they came to Israel and there were neighboring countries and they had their idol worship. So imagine for a second that uh, somebody sees this Jewish person go ahead and give his child to this molech, to this fire temple. And, you know, maybe two weeks later, the same Jewish person is bringing a cow to God's temple. So the guy says, funny Jew, to the idol, he gives his kid. To God, he gives a cow. So what's more important? As obviously, if you, wouldn't do, if you wouldn't give any type of, of anything to this idol worship, then we get it, no problem. But if you could go ahead and to the idol, which you know God hates, to the idol, you give your own child. To, the, to God, you give a cow. So it looks like you think that the idol is more valuable than God because you're not giving your child to God. Yes, I know God doesn't ask for human sacrifices, but still, it's, a, it's like an attitude. In other words, this is what kind of person you are. You think that, that, that your God is happy with animals while you have no problem giving your child to another one. That becomes like profaning God's name. So it happens to be this weekend when I, was, uh, when I was in New Jersey, so the rabbi also talked about this molech. He said a very interesting idea, which sort of sings to me. I tell people all the time, my evenings are packed because I'm studying with my children. This one needs help uh, in, with his math or English or his Torah study or his Talmud study or his reading. I, 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 you know, easily an hour and a half with my children on an average night. It's a lot of time. And it means I don't have any personal time, I have some, but a lot of what would be my personal study time, I don't have. So the question is, what's better? 
take care of me personally and let my children not get the study done that they need to be studied? Or is it better that I take care of my children? So this rabbi was saying this week, most interesting, he says, if you only care about yourself and you leave your child to, to whatever's going to happen, and here comes my music, maybe that's like this molech, which maybe we'll expound upon later. But my music's coming. I got one segment left, and I am not going to finish this Torah portion. Hold through the break. This is Rabbi Tzuya on New Radio Media. We're going to be right back. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. We see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. umped. I mean, that's the, get umped. <laughs> I can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. Yeah, what's up? This is your boy, Walter Jones, also known as Zach, the original Black Ranger, and you are geeking out with Geek Tainment Weekly at New Radio Media. It's worth the time. The BG song, Staying Alive, just might help someone you know stay alive. It's one of those beats you just can't get out of your head once it's there. And it turns out the disco song has 103 beats per minute, which happens to be the perfect number to maintain the rhythm for performing CPR. A study out of Illinois found that doctors and medical students who listened to the song while they were practicing CPR not only performed flawlessly, but they also remembered the technique five weeks later. The keys to CPR are performing the technique aggressively, that is pushing hard enough and pushing on the chest fast enough to force the blood to where it needs to go. So when it comes to proper technique, it turns out that compressing the chest to the beat of staying alive really can help the victim stay alive. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back with very little time. And I'm not going to, I told you, I can't get through this whole Torah portion even in a fast, you know, running through the different commands, just giving you a flavor. Um, I'm going to give you a couple more. And then, you know, we got to wrap it up. We got to do our post our word of the week. I have a cute story I found we'll deal with. Um, a couple more. Interesting. Um, there's a law that the, if you plant a tree or you replant a tree, so the, and that's anywhere in the world, so the first three years of produce, you're not allowed to eat. The fourth year, you bring the produce to Jerusalem, and the fifth year, you can eat it. So that's a fascinating law, and, and just as an idea behind that law, it gives you a good idea to remember that God is telling you, everything comes from me. Your success in your field is because of me, not because of you, not your great farmer, not your great at fertilizing, and not you know the best way to water it. Your success in the growth of your plants, your fruits, your vegetables, your trees, is all coming from God. So God says the first three years you're going to leave it alone. There are those who say that they used to do all kinds of magic and idle stuff to get trees to grow faster. God's saying there's no value 
There's no value in getting and doing that. I don't want you to do that, so I'm going to make you wait a couple of years. Um, in either case, um, that's this like a triple command. One is the first three years you don't eat it. It's called Arla. The fourth year goes to Jerusalem, and the fifth year you can finally start to eat it. And again, you're worried your tree is older, you didn't make so much money. Again, God says to you, if you follow the rules and regulations of the Torah, you're going to find everything is taken care of exactly the way you need it. Um, it continues, it says you're not allowed to eat on blood. So that has numerous meanings, because it's a little ambiguous. It could mean if a court is is going to issue a death penalty, they're not allowed to eat that day. Imagine judges on a court that are about to commit somebody to a death penalty. The rule is if you plan on committing somebody to a death penalty, you're not eating that day. Uh, you're going to also suffer a little bit. And then we'll see how fast you are to kill somebody. That's one explanation. There's other explanations. Um, we don't do any type of magic. Um, we don't, we're not superstitious. Walk under a ladder, broken mirror, black hat. We do not believe or act on any types of superstition. Does it mean that there can't be days that are better or worse in the Jewish calendar for different things? No. There are months. We say the month of Adar, for example, is a good month. Uh, if you have a court case, the month of Av is considered a, not such a good month. But at the same time, the regular superstitions are off limits. And then it says over there, right, that's fine. Uh, okay. Talks about uh, you're not allowed to, uh, to use a razor to shave off your beard. You can use scissors. Right? Most, of our, most of our machines uh, don't use uh, It's a scissor action. It's not a razor action. Um, you even have a verse that has to tell you about uh, immorality. You don't uh, give your daughter away to be a prostitute. And if you do, the land will throw you out. Um, a very interesting talks about, um, I guess the idea would be a seance, right? You can't, if, if you want to know the future, right? you don't use this type of magic or bones or kinds of stuff they had in those days to to find out the future. You don't do that. We go to the prophet. You want to know the future? God will tell you his prophet will tell you the future, but not to use um, what they used to use, which was an idol worship. I see my time is flying. So I'm not sure who's back there, but if it's Steve, no. Angel. Oh, Angel's there. Angel, I'm ready for my poster. There we go. I got my thumb. So we're at the beginning of the Jewish alphabet with the second letter. The second letter is a bays. It could be a bays or a vase. It either makes a B sound. Without the dot in the middle, it makes a V sound. It is the second letter of the Jewish alphabet. Its numerical value is two. And the word I wanted this week was bachar. Bachar means to choose. And I think the whole Torah portion is giving you an idea that, that God wants you to choose to follow his commands. And by choosing to follow God's commands, that will automatically make you into a holy person, which is the whole purpose of, uh, at least of this Torah portion. Obviously, the purpose of keeping God's Torah and His command is so we could become closer to God. But again, that that's all comes with a choice. It doesn't happen by mistake. It's all, all a choice. And now as my time is really running out, I had to end with a story. So the story goes, there's two elderly women, they're out for a uh, Sunday drive, and they're in their big Lincoln Continental, I don't even know if those cars exist anymore, and, uh, and uh, Mildred is driving, and she goes right through the first red light. So Sadie thinks to herself, whoa, did Mildred see that red light? I have no idea. Okay, 
Sure enough, they get to the next red light, and Mildred just goes right through the red light again. Now, Sadie's you know, holding for dear life onto the, you know, the, the uh, whatever you call it, the, the handles or the armrest of the door, which is what I do when I teach my children how to drive. I try to be quiet, so I hold on for dear life. And then by the time they get through the third red light, so Sadie can't help it anyway. She says, Mildred, Mildred, do you realize you went through three red lights? So Mildred says, I thought you were driving. So, anyways, um, in any case, um, God's always watching us. God's always protecting us. But somebody's got to be paying attention. And someone's got to be paying attention to know who's driving. And someone's got to be paying attention to make sure that all the commands that we have in this week's Torah portion and many Torah portions, we got to know what they are. If you never study them, you can't know what they are. You can't do them properly, obviously, because you don't even know what they are. So the goal is pay attention to what you do. Pay attention to what your friend does. Make sure your friend does the right thing. Make sure that if your friend does something you don't understand. So pay attention. Maybe you got it wrong. Maybe you weren't paying attention the proper way. Maybe you missed the boat on what's going on. But now my time is really up because my music is coming on again. So many people to thank. So many new people in studio this week. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors. Listen, you know, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team today. We got Kelsey, Angel, Ethan, Alana. Steven is back there. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah, new radio media. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.